0: Well, by my logic, since you're here on the Sunday after Christmas, and probably most of you uh, thought, well, Pastor Tina's not going to be here uh, today, so maybe the sermon won't be that great, Uh, you're either in one of two camps of people. Option one, you are sitting in your designated spot in your well worn pew today because you're always here. You're working on a year of perfect attendance or maybe 25 years of perfect attendance. Church is your true home. It's where your friends are, and it's where you feel safety and sanctuary in this turbulent world. Or, option two, maybe there are some of you here today that were so captivated by the miracle of Christmas this year that you decided to take the invitation of the four visitors at our Christmas Eve service Tuesday night, and you decided to follow Jesus wherever he would lead you. Now, even if you fall under the first camp of sitting in your same pew today, it's my sincere hope that our reflection on this text today will pull us all into this second category, that we would be ready and willing to follow Jesus wherever he would lead with this challenging text today. So let us pray as we prepare to hear God's word. Almighty God, as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed today through imperfect vessels... We ask that we would hear and receive with joy the word that you have for us to hear today. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take this child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, "'Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel.' For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, that he will be called A Nazarene this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God as we gathered for our Christmas Eve service on Tuesday and we celebrated with our families for the rest of the week we reflected on the Christmas story and it's a particular subset of the Christmas story texts that that we reflected on in these times I call it the Charlie Brown Christmas version of the story because it's all warm and fuzzy It's meek and mild, angels and shepherds, Mary and Joseph, wise men from the east. We sing silent night, we light our candles in the darkness, but we do our best not to dwell on the darkness that makes our little candles visible. If our retelling of the Christmas story last week was like a Charlie Brown holiday special, today's scripture is more like a horror movie. A vision in the middle of the night, waking Joseph up from his stupor. Immediately, hearts start to pound as we follow this young, vulnerable family on the uncertain journey to Egypt, hiding at every suspicious noise, looking behind themselves constantly, hoping that one of Herod's men was not close enough to catch them. Our hearts are torn in two by the cries of the mothers and fathers who lost their newborn children at the hand of the despotic Herod. We feel relief that baby Jesus is not among them, that God has protected this fragile hope through his brave parents. But what about all the collateral damage in this cosmic battle? Surely none of those grieving parents would find an ounce of reassurance in the news that one newborn baby had survived. Well, For the month or so preceding Christmas, we've found ourselves in the season of more secular Christmas preparations. We inquired about what our loved ones would like to receive as our gifts. We purchased gifts and maybe like uh, some American households, your front door was surrounded by packages you purchased on Amazon.com, uncertain perhaps on what was inside all of those boxes. You lovingly took them out and covered the gifts with wrapping paper, stuck them in a bag with tissue paper, And gave them to your family and friends at the same time as these preparations for the more secular holiday of christmas were going on we in our worship and devotional life were preparing for the coming of jesus once again into our hearts we engaged in similar preparations although this holiday is much cheaper to prepare for we didn't have to buy anything but we considered what we needed to do to draw closer to god we pondered the ways that God could appear among us this year and truly answer our prayers. Maybe if you were like me, you had a specific request to God that you kept coming to his ear about through the whole season of Advent, waiting and waiting and hoping that God would answer that prayer. As our gifts were placed under the tree, waiting to be opened, we all waited with eager longing and expectation for the gift of God's son Jesus. Now unlike the presents under the tree, we were pretty sure what we were going to find in this box. This is one present that we all knew about ahead of time. This isn't our first Christmas. We opened this gift before we know what to expect. Even still, the anticipation was building because we really needed Jesus this year to show up. We all experienced some sorrows and struggles this year that we needed Jesus to come in and make right. In 2019, we have shared among ourselves in our prayers as we have had some combination of stress with our job, of not being appreciated enough, of not making enough money, not having enough time outside of work. We've shared in our small groups maybe about conflicts within our families strained relationships with our friends, our parents, our children, and our partners. We've shared in our time of prayer about our struggles with our health or the health of those we love, diagnoses we were not expecting, or recurring problems that we thought were in the past. In our worship on Christmas Eve, we opened the box full of God's gifts to us, and we got exactly what we were expecting. Our prayers were answered. We celebrated once again the birth of the Christ child, meek and mild, (laughs) a precious baby, a sign of hope. We went home after Tuesday night's worship with our hearts full of joy. And maybe on top of that celebration, we got an answer to our prayers. We all, for instance, felt that prayer was answered when we heard that Mike Mora was returning home from Thailand for Christmas. And maybe we had some answered prayers that we didn't share with anyone else, but were close to our heart. The gift of Jesus, this box that had been sitting under our tree all season, this hope we were expecting has been opened. And inside that box we find this precious, fragile, tiny baby. This gift to us once again. But lest we've forgotten the sorrow and the pain of our scripture reading this morning already, this gift of hope also comes with its polar opposite. The gift we receive is a bit of a mixed bag. Our Christmas Eve service was filled with light, but it's also surrounded by darkness. Inside the gift that we've all opened this season, we receive both the baby Jesus and the tyranny The sorrow and the death that come at the hands of King Herod. We should have expected that our answer to prayers would be this way. After all, the story of the coming of Jesus into the world bears remarkable similarities to the situation surrounding the captivity of the Israelites in Egypt and their exodus from Egypt. If you remember back to the book of exodus as it opens we hear how god's provision for the hebrews in the land of egypt had been undermined by a new king a new pharaoh one who did not know of god's people and of joseph who had led them there one who had seen the resident alien population of hebrews in that land as a threat and so this new king this new pharaoh in egypt decided to put slave masters over the hebrews to oppress them with forced labor. As the people God had chosen to be a blessing to the world continued to grow and become more fruitful as God had promised, they were also oppressed more and more. God's blessing came with a response from evil. Eventually, the population became so large that the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, was so threatened that he declared that every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile but let every girl live. We heard a story just similar to that from Matthew's gospel, didn't we? There are rulers like Pharaoh and Herod in every generation willing to sacrifice little children for the sake of the greater good or for their, known narrow, their own narrow political interests. There's always the weak and the vulnerable like the Hebrew babies in Egypt, like the little children in Bethlehem and like the young children at the borders of the nations of this world who suffer at the hands of power. There's nothing new in the story. We shouldn't be so surprised by it, but we would rather not read it. But there's something else that strikes me about the connection between the Exodus story and the Christmas story. See, for years and years, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out to God. The Hebrew slaves waited in a season of Advent-like anticipation and expectation for the one who had made a covenant with them. They cried out for God to appear in their midst, as we did for the four weeks of Advent. And finally, if you remember the story, God did respond. God was faithful as God always is faithful, he called Moses from the bush that was on fire but would not burn up. There was a sign of hope, in appearance of God anticipating the day when God would appear directly to us through his son. God sent Moses to set his people free. But what happened? Well, evil responded, as it always does. The pain and the suffering on the Israelites from their Egyptian rulers increased. Not only did they have to make bricks under the pressure of slavery, but now they would not be provided straw. They were to make the same number of bricks without the straw they had been given before. Now, in response to this blessing from God, the sending of Moses to set his people free, the people say to Moses, may the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and put a sword in in his hand to kill us. The deliverance that the slaves had, been at, that had asked for and had been promised turned out to be much harder than they anticipated. And in that moment, I'm willing to bet the Hebrew slaves would have done anything to go back to the day before God's promise was fulfilled by sending Moses. They would have done everything to reverse course and at least gone back to the bad situation they had before, because at least it wasn't as bad as making bricks without straw. They wanted to reverse course, get rid of Moses, and suck up to Pharaoh for better treatment. The pattern continues throughout that story. The people of God cry out to him, pleading for rescue. Deliverance comes. We remember the people were delivered from their captivity in Egypt, but things only get harder. Once the Israelites reach the desert wilderness, the same wilderness Mary and Joseph traveled through with baby Jesus in the opposite direction, they cry out to God, why did you lead us out of Egypt only to die in the wilderness? In Egypt, at least we had food. Here in the wilderness, we have nothing. This promised deliverance is anything but. Send us back to Pharaoh. We'll Get on our knees and beg him to give us our old jobs as slaves back. And we'll try our best to make bricks without straw because it's better than it is now. We would much rather have no deliverance at all. Thank you very much. Return the present to the sender. I imagine that many of God's people living in Bethlehem, praying and hoping for a better day, had a similar reaction. Their prayers were answered in the coming of the baby Jesus Christ. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was called the Son of David, the one who was to redeem Israel had come. He was lying in that manger, but along with his coming came suffering, caused by an evil that would do anything to oppose this work of God's deliverance. Yes, the promised Redeemer had come, but along with that gift from God came the reaction of an evil king who killed all of the babies in Bethlehem. How many in the days of Jesus would look at what God was doing and how evil was responding and say to God, we would all be much better, better off if we just left things alone? Just leave us alone, God. How many of those who received this gift of deliverance, this gift of the newborn Jesus, just wanted to wrap baby Jesus up in his amazon.com box, and send him back to God where he came from, to the Jesus distribution warehouse, thinking that he was much more trouble than he was worth. Sure, the gift of Jesus is great, but is he really worth the trouble? The parents of Bethlehem who had lost their children weren't the only ones who would have wished to make a return on their (coughs) Christmas gift. As this Christ child grows up, as he becomes the Jesus we know and love. In Matthew 8, we hear this story of the demons and the pigs. And if you uh, kept up with your Advent devotional, you'll remember reading this story recently. It strikes us as kind of humorous that demons would be sent into a group of pigs and then hurled off of a cliff. But we read that Jesus went into this region of the Gerasenes and freed two men who were possessed by demons and sent the demons into a herd of pigs. Do you remember how everyone responded? Well, the two men who were set free from their affliction of demons were pretty happy. But everyone else gathered in a mob, came up to Jesus, and said, go home, or pretty much we're going to hurl you off of this cliff because you took our pigs. The gift of Jesus in that case means the loss of an entire town's way of life. They want to make a return to the sender of this troublesome prophet. Maybe we do too, especially when we hear Jesus's words in strong terms. If anyone comes to me and is not willing to completely disregard mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even disregard their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. It seems that Jesus is really the present that no one wants to get for Christmas because it means letting go of everything else we might be tempted to join in that Christmas returns line with a large Galilean-sized gift. Up on the counter, we place Jesus and say, I'd like to make a return. I thought I really wanted this Jesus, but it turns out he's far more trouble than he's worth. But the truth of the matter is this. When we see evil active in the world and in our own lives, it's much more likely a sign that God is doing something and that evil is trying to snuff it out, then it is a sign that God has abandoned us. Maybe that means sometimes we would prefer God abandon us, because it's a lot calmer. At least we know how to deal with that suffering. But the response of evil is a sign that God is doing something. And when we get more than we bargained for from this gift of Jesus, we might be tempted to make a return. The gift of Jesus is going to upset the status quo, The status quo of our lives. It's going to turn our lives upside down and inside out. But when we fully make that decision to follow Jesus wherever he's going and live in faith and trust that God will provide, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Following Jesus is often going to mean abandoning the safety of what used to be for the assurance that God will be with us wherever we go. If we're going to choose this gift, and accept this gift of Jesus Christ, we cannot choose safety and comfort. We have to be willing to live on the margins with Jesus and Joseph and Mary, with the Israelites leaving Egypt, with all those who flee evil, by ducking behind the corners, fleeing evil at every turn, and trusting in God for everything when people are out to get us. Ask anyone who's made a significant life change, overcoming an addiction to drugs or alcohol, adopting a healthier lifestyle with nutritious food and exercise, recovering from a mental illness, leaving a toxic or abusive relationship. All of these things are undeniably good. And we would not ever tell someone that staying in addiction or in an abusive relationship is a good thing. Because we know that the comfort offered by that kind of status quo is deadly. But we'd also be lying if we didn't acknowledge that adopting a new way of life is going to mean catastrophic change to our friendships to our finances to our daily routine new life is quite often surrounded by death the path to healing through jesus christ might mean that we get more than we bargained for the world cries out at the pain that comes from the forces of evil in our world as they are opposed It's going to get worse before it gets better, because rulers like Pharaoh and Herod and addiction and illness and abuse and sin and death are always going to try and do their worst. Like always, we have a choice. Will we let evil rule and keep Jesus wrapped up in his nice little gift box? Will we return Jesus to his sender? Will we choose safety and comfort, even if they come at great expense? and undermine the foundation on which we stand? Or will we open and accept this complicated, holy, transformational, and troublesome gift of Jesus Christ, and set him free to live in every part of our life, challenging and vanquishing the forces of sin wherever he finds them at great cost? The waiting of Advent that we come from was hard, was it not? But the true way of Christmas is even harder having received what we were expecting. This gift of Jesus Christ might just mean that we have to lose everything else. Mary and Joseph did. They lost all opportunities for a peaceful, calm, and ordinary life, and we will lose things too if we take this Jesus seriously. But the word of assurance and comfort for those of us who, like Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, are fleeing the forces of evil, is that whatever we face in this journey of discipleship, the best news we have is that God is with us. God is with us as he was with the Israelites in Egypt and in the wilderness. God is with us as he was with Mary and Joseph seeking refuge in a foreign land. God is present today with all who call upon the name of the Lord for help. (laughs) The way before us is hard and uncertain, my friends. Foes wait around at every corner, but God has never and will never abandon us when we trust in God through faith. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we receive this word and put our trust in it. Amen.